to episode 89 of Friends of Film, a podcast, yes, ace movie news, and theatrical releases. On this episode, we'll cover many new trailers, director confirmations, fan cast it, chapter two, and more after review Mother. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes by searching Friends of Film. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by a man who joined me for an interesting doubleheader this weekend, Josh Straley. Yeah, the, the, the back nine this week was, uh, was quite something. I mean, wow. We started it off with American Assassin, mm-hmm. uh, which we're not reviewing in full today, but I can say that you, I put it, I think, at six on my most anticipated for the fall list. Definitely too high. Um, definitely disappointed me. Uh, I was surprised to see reactions from you know other reviewers and stuff that they're like, oh, you know, this is fun and dumb. I was like, no, it was just really dumb. Yes. <laughs> I thought uh, more dumb than fun. I'd still like Don O'Brien and Michael Keaton mm-hmm. um, were still good, but yeah, that story was... Uh, all over the place. Yeah, it was. Uh, it goes in five or six different directions, and all of them get wrapped up in like the last ten minutes, and just so unsatisfactory and uh, all over the place. Yeah, but as uh, as interesting of a movie American Assassin was to see, uh, what we followed, and about an hour after that was yeah. Mother, and mm-hmm. <laughs> American Assassin came nowhere close to. Um, challenging me as a viewer and making me continue to think about it yeah um, engagement wise yes uh it's a movie that uh we'll be doing a review of mother but just briefly i mean it's i haven't really stopped thinking about it Mm -hmm. um just trying to figure out where i ultimately land with this movie so uh we are going to review mother this week uh we'll definitely be diving into spoilers on this one for sure probably for the majority of our conversations so if you have not seen mother yet uh, there will be a timestamp in the description of this episode so you can skip ahead to the news. But otherwise, hopefully you've seen it so you can hear our thoughts and theories uh, on full spoilers about this movie. Mm-hmm. So uh, I will get into it uh, just Please. by saying that <laughs> this has probably been one of the more difficult, maybe the most difficult movie we've reviewed so far. Um, not because uh, it's it, it's not a movie. I think I know where Aronofsky is going with this movie, yeah. but trying to figure out whether or not i liked it okay <laughs> is something i've continued to struggle with up until the minute before we uh, we, we pressed the record button on this episode uh i i just don't know whether i love this movie like this movie or hate this movie really? um and i mean it i told you before we started recording i think if we started if we did in this episode tomorrow it would be a completely different review, mm. I think, than what I am going to say on this episode today okay. <laughs> so well I, and but it's the one thing I can say about it is it sucked me in right from the start. Um, yeah. Aronofsky starts it in a way and it just continues the realms like just out of curiosity and some confusion. I was just sitting there watching in awe of what was happening trying to figure out what was going on. Um, the cast in the movie is very, is very good. I think Jennifer Lawrence uh, has a very good performance, not an mm-hmm. Oscar worthy performance in my opinion. Um, but I think the reason that she gives the best performance is mainly because we stick with her for like 99.9% of this movie. I think there's one or two instances where they show us anything that Jennifer Lawrence is not in the shot of, or it's not her perspective yeah. of the movie. So we are with her the entire time. I um, mean, that gives her plenty of time to show her acting range, um, kind of get us to s- try to understand this character um, but then on the flip side, it's Bardem. Javier Bardem plays him. Uh, her, 
her husband, and I think he's good, but he's nothing that uh, truly ride home about. Uh, definitely, right. definitely better than Pirates yes, Five. That's what I was gonna uh, say, <laughs> without a doubt. But it's not, it's not a no country for old men situation here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, of the supporting cast, which uh, you see Ed Harris and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer in the trailers, but there's two other ones. Uh, surprise people that pop up that oh, yeah. one I remembered one I forgot about so I don't want to spoil those uh, just in case you haven't seen the movie yet but I thought of those people Michelle Pfeiffer was the one that stood out to me the most there was one mm-hmm. kind of sequence where sh- her uh, or I think her character's name is woman woman and mother are having this conversation about what mother really wants in life and it's this back and forth Michelle Pfeiffer's like walking around uh, Jennifer Lawrence and then just their whole kind of their they're almost non chemistry because they're very like Jennifer Lawrence is very distant and put off by her and I that was a, a chilling performance by yeah, Pfeiffer. They're grading up against each other uh throughout two or three scenes. Yeah. Where you just you just see the politeness barriers like break down mm-hmm. inside the house and it's just like it made for a fascinating uh, three, four, five scenes. I think they had together. Yeah. Um, ultimately, I mean, they do end up leaving for most for a good portion of the movie just because of what the story is trying to tell. And I don't want to get into any points of the story because it's so, I think, spoiler heavy trying to discuss this movie's story at all outside of just saying it's, you know, it, it's Jennifer Lawrence's character and how everybody else's character they live in a house and people start to come there. Uh, anything outside of that, I think, is. Uh, getting into spoiler territory in some sense. Um, But I think this movie for me kind of fell in a similar place with like Dunkirk where this was a movie I appreciated more for the directing than anything else. And it felt definitely more like Aronofsky just being like, here's what I think of movies and culture and everything uh, like a hundred different ideas. He just like, here's my thoughts on all of this stuff. And uh, whether it's, the, the way that he kind of told the story that kept you kind of interested in it or the way uh, him and cinematographer Matthew uh, Libetique kept everything. All the shots were close and personal. Um, I wanted to, it, it was unnerving because I wanted to see, I felt like I was missing a good portion of the movie because I couldn't see anything outside of, you know, two inches on each side of Jennifer Lawrence's face for most of the film. Um, but also the sound mixing in the film was great. There's the house is being rebuilt and the creaks in the wood and yeah. every cling of a glass or, um, you know, any, any, any single sound just like rings for an extended period of time. That's, it, it's also unnerving, but it's also, uh, I thought it's really nice touch to enhance the uneasiness that is going on in the film, the, yeah. the, the uncomfortable lever levels that Aronofsky is going to. Um, but the final 30 minutes are, uh, I was not anywhere prepared for what was happening in the final 30 minutes. I don't want to get into obviously what was happening in those 30 minutes, but um, that's where Aronofsky's larger theme of the film came into play. Yeah. um, Very prevalently. And it's one that I can't get behind kind of the, Oh really? Okay. Just the, the, the way I understood this story, which obviously we'll get to in spoilers, um, which is something I, I can't, I don't, I don't agree with his take on everything that's happening and um, the way that he positioned these characters and he portrayed some of them. I don't agree. That's how they are or would be. Um, but I also just can't see myself wanting to see this movie more outside of trying to figure out what this movie's about. And I'd also, but I also don't know if this is a movie that's even 
I even can figure out because there are so many different interpretations. I have I have mine, but I that's that that may or may not be what Aronofsky intended, or maybe he didn't intend anything because apparently, ahead uh, of like the press screenings, he like handed out a twelve page document of like here's how I made this movie, and we can kind of get into some of that stuff in spoilers maybe, but uh, it's just a movie that I I still don't really know where I fall on it outside of knowing it's a technical achievement for Aronofsky. Yeah. Um, and I, I can't say I didn't like it because I was intrigued and I was invested in that movie for the entire two-hour runtime of it. But it's also a movie that left me feeling a little bit unsatisfied. And the last 30 minutes I thought were almost like a completely different movie. Um, so I'm going to give it three and a half ticket stubs out of five. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I, I do know exactly what you're saying. Um, the last 30 minutes is where we'll probably put all of our spoiler talk yeah. um if not you know at least some of it it goes from the movie turns from a slow mystery thriller to uh a full i mean uh, without with being a, a, you know as general as possible a full-scale riot of ideas and people and uh imagery yes uh, so you're 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 clubbed over the head constantly with uh, sounds, images, and themes that you that you don't see mm-hmm. um, until the very end. They, they're bubbling under the surface, and maybe on the second watch, I could see them all again. But yeah, they they flood you, and that's where you just go from. Oh, I was good at Sherlock Holmes's thing to oh, I just got uh, j- brutally battered by mm-hmm. whatever Ofsky was. Uh, whatever he was getting at but yeah uh, i will let's i'm gonna hit the cast up first jennifer lawrence phenomenal not an like you said not oscar worthy but worthy to remember her for this Mm -hmm. versus i would say joy joy (laughs) yeah uh so maybe she will get an oscar maybe even you know the hunger games movies you can throw those out the window uh and then you know don't do that because those are great movies Well, they're great yes (laughs) (laughs) but uh I don't think they hold the candle to how well she does here. She car- she carries this movie mm-hmm. um, until we get uh, Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer finally into the film. Uh, Harvey, Javier Bardem, great, but he's not doing anything for the movie. He's just kind of, he's, he's, he's acting how I think Javier Bardem lives his life, right. if that's if that's anything. I sure hope not. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, uh, for the first half, how about okay, that? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, maybe for all of it, because it's not really his fault, but we'll get to that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's gorgeous cinema. That's the thing mm-hmm. to remember about Mother. Um, they filmed it on uh, Super 16 millimeter. It's just uh, beautifully done. And I don't know all the ins and outs of how they expose film and how they layer it mm-hmm. and texturize it, but the color is immaculate. The the shadows and the contracts between light and dark, especially in that early morning scene when we first meet Jennifer Lawrence's character. Uh, so well done. Um, I think the, the belief that they built the house, mm-hmm. three stories on a soundstage, and uh, um, it just was awesome because there were so many great long takes. It looked like they um, also had like plenty of these like 360 moving shots where they were moving around and through the house mm-hmm. and that and that was all 
felt stage-like performance art, and that was super, super cool to see. Appreciated the heck out of that. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, this movie comes down to what it shows us in the end. Because if Ofsky was really just wanting to do this for the the technical achievements, which I, I can't appreciate 100% as a viewer yet mm-hmm. anyway, uh, that's not gonna that's not gonna do it for me totally. So I am left, like you said, just thinking about that last 30, 40 minutes um, and everything else around the story in general. And we'll talk about it in a second, but I did feel left out. But as soon as the film ended, I threw my idea out to you because mm-hmm. we saw it together. Yep. And you're like, well, no, I don't think that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, how do you not? And then I realized this is the first movie of the summer that actually is divisive because there's so many different ways to take mm-hmm. this. Um, and we haven't had that for like the last two or three years, right. I, I would think. Um, not since Nocturnal Animals yeah, have that, I been... that's what I thought about immediately. Yeah, and I think they're two very similar movies. Um, Tom Ford's is very sleek and stylish uh, with, with the way he did his. Um, and Ofsky's is uh, almost, almost gorilla the handheld parts mm-hmm. of the film um, on just uh, the way he did color. It's it's very night and day versus the cool and reds that Tom Ford did in Nocturnal yeah. Animals. So I'll leave it there, but I'll say this. I'm going to give it four and a half out of five ticket stops because there's so much left to unpack, and I've been missing that in film. A lot lately. Uh, Transformers. I mean, the, <laughs> you not, can un- there's not anything to unpack Yeah, there. but you know, we're here with this, and I really, really enjoyed it. So it may have just hit you at the perfect time where you came out of the summer season, mm-hmm. seeing blockbusters, and then you see this movie, and it's it's going to challenge you in a lot of ways as a viewer. Yes, and that that's what you took away from it as yeah. being appreciative. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, that's completely understandable. Can we get into spoilers? Yes. So All if, right. you, if you've not seen Mother turn away well don't turn away just skip ahead to the news but from here on out spoilers on mother first thing before we get do we go we go deep two surprise cameos yes. delightfully surprising cameos the gleason brothers yeah uh, well and and Kristen wig Kristen Wiig as well. That's right. Yeah. Of course. She um, has one of the most surprising moments of the film. She when she's more, just like holding two pistols and she's yes. just killing dudes. Like, what's happening? <laughs> like that's that, where, the, I mean, that's in the middle of that 30 minutes basically. And I was like, wow, this mm-hmm. movie really took a turn. Yes. Uh, but there was, yeah, three delightful cameos, the Gleason brothers and Kristen Wiig. Uh, and I had no idea who else was in the movie other than our original four characters. Mm-hmm. And them showing up, we're like, oh, hey, I know you guys. Right. You're all great. And then when things take their turn, it's like, oh, oh, you're not that great. Yeah, oh, no, great. no, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's, w- where do you want to start here? Uh, I think the best way to start would just be to try to hash out where each of us landed on what the movie is about. Okay. Um, for me, uh, it was... Aronofsky giving another take on creation and God and religion, specifically Mm -hmm. Christianity. Uh, And that's where, as I continue to think about it, it was hard because, um, you know, I am a Christian, but like watching the movie, I was like, okay, but is it just because I view this one way, this is how I believe, you know, 
this is how I believe God would act. I believe this is how creation um, takes place. I believe this is God's relationship with humanity. Uh, and Aronofsky clearly does not see it the same way. Much more cynical. Uh, yes, he sees he sees a cold God. He sees a God that is willing to snap his fingers and restart everything, um, and one that is really focused on building praise for himself. Um, and that's where he's at his happiness, not creating life um, more so. I want to create life so I can be praised, which is is not the way I see it. And then he's he's just so he's so cold to Jennifer Lawrence, who in this analogy would be Earth, I believe. And then the weird the weird thing is like there's so many different you know biblical you know scenarios at play here. Yeah. Um, but that was just ultimately when it came down to it ending with Javier Bardem's character taking Jennifer Lawrence's heart breaking it apart to have like the, the diamond like that can regenerate life. And then that life ultimately rebuilds their house and mm-hmm. then builds him a new wife. But it it's, it's very similar to Jennifer Lawrence, but has like a slight modification to her face. And now yeah. she has fully brown hair instead of blonde. It's like, okay, you're just like, though that is not how I think any of this would play out and I, or, or did play out, but that's really where it, it's became a difficult movie to find out where I landed on it because I think, because that's, I, I believe it's too almost heavy handed that that is the approach that Aronofsky wanted. And yeah. That's the approach that he wanted people to take away. Um, that I was like, that's not, that's not how, you know, God is. That's not how creation is. Mm-hmm. That's not, you know, I mean, I can see the, his humanity whole angle with like humanity's terrible. Sure, yes. yeah. <laughs> we, are, we are not the best, but um, I think there's a lot of other stuff there that I don't agree with. Um, that ultimately took it down a couple of notches. Whereas, uh, and and the, in the same aspect of like Noah, where he did the same thing, he did his take on the flood and everything. There's different, um, you know, right. iterations and different things he brings into that story there as well that I didn't agree with. And, but I think this movie's more technical achievement has better performances and all that. So, so I like this movie more than Noah, but I still can't really say that I, I love it. And the extents that he goes to in the, in the third act, um, I don't think, uh, are, are necessary completely. Cause they, he, it seems like he's going over the top and just showing, um, extreme, um, just imagery just for the sake of it. And, you know, there's also, I mean, maybe the baby represents Jesus. There's no, you know, inclusion of the devil in this, you know, if he is going for the, the God humanity creation, um, you know, themes here, but yes. um, yeah, that, that's where I thought the movie okay. was about was about yeah. creation and God and all that stuff. And I think it's like, as soon as you, as soon as uh, you laid that out there for me, you're dropped the line on that. Everything just flooded my mind. And yeah, there's so many metaphors in there. Like with that crystal, uh, getting broken by Ed Harris and Michelle mm-hmm. Pfeiffer and that sort of like, that's the forbidden fruit. And then right. we immediately see him seal that room up. Mm-hmm. It's the garden of Gethsemane, not Gethsemane, uh, uh, garden of Yosemite, the garden of Eden. Eden Thank Eden. you. Yeah, I can't I'm losing it. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's a national park. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, well, that's also, it's a different part of the right. world as well. Uh, and then there's, you know, the two brothers, the, the Gleason brothers, which are Cain and Abel, which right. is cool that he used two real life brothers for right. that. Uh, um, and then Harvard Bar is this poet whose words have brought comfort to people. Mm-hmm. And he's working on 
his second book, which is like the idea of the, the New Testament, yeah, the and New he Testament. finally mm-hmm. writes it, and then that's when the people, the, the second wave of people, come to the house, and it goes from per, uh, reverence, I think, and then it just descends into chaos mm-hmm. where there's bombs, SWAT teams, murderous cults, yeah. Kristen Wiig just doing, uh, yeah, l- l- wasting people. Um, so yeah, yeah, that all hit me, but. I, I as soon as I watched it in, I was like, "Oh, it's about celebrity culture," yeah. and because Javier Bardem is this artist and he's in this marriage with uh, someone who just wants to be with him, just wants to love him, uh, from at least Michelle Pfeiffer's assessment mm-hmm. of Jennifer Lawrence's character. I was like, okay, I see where this is going. And then fans come, and each time they they sort of interrupt and interfere with their life. But Javier Bardem so consumed by this this need to be loved right. that he keeps putting in jeopardy their marriage and everything that they have, their house, the home that they're building together, just to uh, have some affection from the outside. Mm-hmm. And eventually, it, it comes up to a part where people are ripping apart their house. And trying to take ownership of it. And Jennifer Lawrence is just like, well, why are you doing this? And they're like, to prove that we were here. And I was like, oh, wow, that's sort of like selfie culture with celebrities right. sometimes. Where it's like, you don't want to meet them or talk to them or say anything to them. You just want people to know that, hey, I I saw this person here. Mm-hmm. Check them out. I'm kind of cool. And I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of apt. That's kind of cool. Um, and then eventually it gets to the point where uh, it just totally destroys everything. And that's mm-hmm. like... And we see Jennifer Lawrence look crazy in the end. And that's like the, I thought that was the idea of, oh, sometimes, well, women, when they come out of this are totally burned, like a Britney Spears type of a deal, like mm-hmm. where you see her go crazy or, and she shaved her head. That was weird. But, <laughs> but whatever the case is, uh, that's where I thought like the whole thing was going. And it was trying to like say, hey, stop that. But I, I love the, the biblical metaphor is just so much harder to ignore at this point. Yeah. Just because even, like, the fact that Jennifer Lawrence's character's name is Mother, it could be, you know, he's representative of Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, Javier Bardem's character's name, him, with a capital H. All the other characters' names are lowercase, so yep. it's a further thing of, you know, God with capital G. He, um, you know, the Omega in the end, Every every he's everything, you know, everything that, all, all of God's names always have capital letters. The fact that Javier Bardem's character is the only one like that that has... You know, even like a quote unquote name. Yes. Uh, I think just further further pushes that view. Super intentional. And I did not know that he directed Noah. I haven't seen yeah. the movie. Uh, but I heard he added parts and pieces to it that were somewhat more fantasy element. Yeah, like, the, like they belonged the, to Game of Thrones versus a <laughs> Noah film. The 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 part I remember the most um that he rock changed. Creatures or yeah, something? he brings in like these rock creatures that basically help Noah and his entire family build the ark, which is like, Oh, so that's how they did it. Like yeah. sort of thing. But it's like, I, mm, I don't think I don't remember that in the sure. Noah story anytime that I've read it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe is- it's a different translation, uh, that Aronofsky read, or he's just trying to fantasize it for the point of the movies, which I think is probably closer to what, um, he was doing there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think, uh, and even like the, like I mentioned the letter that was given like critics before they saw the movie yes. um, at screeners. Like it was a, like basically Aronofsky is explaining the process of the movie or like how he made this movie saying that like he woke up one night in like a fever dream and he 
he wrote this entire movie in five days and then he like went to a stage house and filmed a version of it without any of the actors and just to try to figure out what he was going to make and then he went back rewrote the script and then he filmed the actual movie um and he was kind of saying like oh this is this is just all my thoughts about you know um the, the state of the world and politics and global warming and he has so many ideas bouncing around in this movie uh, based on his yes. own knowledge. So trying to come away with one interpretation of the story, I think is impossible, which is also why I think trying to figure out where this movie, what this movie is trying to say is almost maybe like counterproductive because maybe there isn't one overarching narrative at the end of the day, because if Aronofsky doesn't even know, then why should I have to even figure out in the first place? If, because if there's not, then that's where this movie would, would fall further down the line. Yeah. If, if there is really no meaning to it, um, then it's just like, okay, it looks great, but there's nothing there. And mm-hmm. then it, it would go from like a three and a half to like a two or something. Okay. Like, yeah. it, it would take a significant decline in that, in that regards. But because I think the creation theme is so heavy handed and it's just so right there in your face, um, I think that has to be that's that's the only way I could see it. I, I get the a larger s- piece of the inspiration right. with sprinkled themes of fame, family, and mm-hmm. uh, environmental um, crusadership. I right, feel. and like I get the whole fame thing. Problem is, uh, Ingrid goes west. Did the whole celebrity uh, tortured fame per thing so much better? Oh, well, that was also if I I haven't seen it yet, but okay. doesn't that also have elements of you know social media addiction? Things yes, like that to it. Okay, but it's yeah. all I mean it's also very much about like the whole celebrity, the the online celebrity um, culture of today, where it's like I've got a million followers, I'm a mm-hmm. celebrity, um, but really you're only showing the good parts of your life instead of yeah. the, instead of your entire life. So it makes you seem like a better person than you actually are. Okay. Um, so that's why I think I, I, I get the, I get the, I get the celebrity parts of uh, mother, but I think uh, the full approach of it was better done in English. You don't West. think it's, it's uh is it active uh, a way to tell the story versus what Ingrid goes west. Yes. Okay. I mean, I think it's still, I think it's still did a decent job at it because I do see the celebrity aspects of it, but it also, when you said that, and then I started thinking about the whole, um, religious angle of it, then I was like, well, so then I was like, so then God's trying to like be a celebrity. And like, it just goes back to the whole thing of like, I just don't like that. He, he, he turned God into somebody that was so cynical that he just, he's like, yeah, I I I've, Delusional, I I have writer's probably. block. I don't want to I don't want to create anymore. But really, he does because he has a sort of endless loop of creation. Because the movie opens with us seeing like a girl's face burning up, mm-hmm. um, and then Javier Bardem putting the crystal into the holder of the house, the house coming back to life, and then we see Jennifer Lawrence. But it was a different girl at the beginning than it was Jennifer Lawrence, and there's a different girl at the end than it was Jennifer Lawrence. So it seems like this is an endless cycle that continues to repeat itself, and the fact that Aronofsky would put God in that situation where he is he is allowing all of this destruction to happen over and over and over again, and he's continues to be so cold um, to Earth in this in this metaphor and to almost humanity as a whole. Only to then once he once he cracks yeah his ideas and then he just wants to take all the praise on. I I just didn't like that since the fact that you know yes we 
depend I mean, this is all based on what I believe, but like humanity's made to ultimately praise God sure. in a way, but and worship him, but it's also that relationship is is more is way more than that where God is there to help people. Yeah. And he, he he kind of he kind of goes that angle where he's like, Oh yeah, you can stay at our house. He's being a comforter. You can come generous, here. Yes. But it was it was almost to like this delusional state where mm-hmm. this is all I have this if I do this then they'll love me sort of thing. Right. He's he's approaching it with a little bit of a cynical attitude but also with the idea that um Bardem is a is flawed or God in the quote or whoever he is whoever Bardem is right. is in this ultimate metaphor is flawed in the way that he's never actually going to be satisfied. Bardem as a character is unwhole mm-hmm. uh incomplete because he has this what looks like a desperate need to seek fame attention uh glory from masses of people mm-hmm. and so that's like ultimately i think where his depiction yeah his depiction goes flawed yeah and then and then yeah uh, just some of the visceral images as well oh my um, gosh yeah and i was i was down with the riots i was down mm-hmm. with um these suicide murder cults but when the child comes out yeah. which is also which you know you, you could take a you could take a uh page out of the book of like oh it's jesus yeah. and he, the baby ultimately gets He's, killed yeah he gets killed by humanity which i can right. see that um, after they were supposed to love it and then like that's when another cult springs up inside of the house yeah, but yeah. and then like once the, like there's like kind of um oh what's it called when you're like you're cra- they're, they're, they're crowd having the baby child, crowd surfing yeah. the whole audience there and but then it's neck snaps and you see it and it's it, the sound yes um I, I that was one of the points where i was like this was just unnecessary but then it goes to another step further and it shows like the carcass of the baby mm-hmm. and all of its followers are eating it which i Ooh. guess you could further say that that is a metaphor for you know like communion, communion. probably um yeah. but wow that image was so unsettling where it was like i i almost wanted to throw up a little bit at first because it was just it just felt it just felt un untasteful like it was just, yeah it was I, tasteful i was uh i was watching michael keaton in the movie prior get his fingernails <laughs> ripped off and throughout that i was like I'm not cringing at this. I know this is kind of fake, but it's kind of cool to see the, how, how the makeup artist. I got nine more. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, did the yanking of the fingernails uh, off. Still uh, gross. And I was like, all right, I'm pretty proud of myself. I can handle anything now. That was totally <laughs> worth. And then that happened. And two hours later, <laughs> yeah, I my I snapped my eyes shut. I looked. Thankfully, Oski only had the the body on there for yeah. like 10 seconds or whatever that uh, was, was less than 10 seconds. no it was like three and a half maybe. yeah uh just enough for you to recognize what it was mm-hmm. and then when you recognize it it's off screen so if it had been there longer i would have just you know i probably would have uh gotten a little bit queasy but yeah, yeah. i i i don't ultimately agree with his final vision on at least if we take the biblical route, right. which it seems like that's what he did. At least that was his beginning intention, mm-hmm. I would say. Uh, it definitely reads like a manifesto to um, a very, uh, I'm searching for an N-word that starts, uh, um, not nostalgic, but agnostic, A-word actually. <laughs> it's very agnostic. Um, an almost, it's ending portrayal of God is definitely beyond what I would agree with or even begin to think about. Mm-hmm. But I, 
I'm, the, the movie gets my rating because I'm sitting here talking about it right. today, and I still appreciate a good movie. Right. That that's um, where it was so. Uh, that's where that's why this was such a hard movie to review because yes. I was trying to figure out how much of my personal opinion, not my opinion about the movie, but just my personal beliefs come into play with this review and like before i had it a four and i was like i just can't get it there i don't think Mm -hmm. because of the way that the third act unfolds and then the overarching themes so uh that's where it ultimately just took that the half star yeah down i mean you know it it, it's yeah and if this if this is really like a fever dream manifesto you know scream from oski about a plethora of ideas that mm-hmm. he just wanted to get out in the world uh i almost appreciate the metaphorical approach versus the actual statement like a, maybe putting a flag in the sand and mm-hmm. saying exactly 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 um i'll be interested to see what he does next yeah <laughs> because whatever he follows up with after this mm-hmm. is going to be quite a thing yeah well i mean like the other we got to end it soon but i think the other thing about this was that some people have interpreted that um aronofsky's movies whether it's black swan the wrestler uh wrecking for a dream he always puts his characters in like these really terrible situations where they're down to their luck they they need they need to make a change in their life and they're, mm-hmm. they're looking for more purpose um and then black i think black swan and the wrestler are definitely about you know finding oh, yeah. the, oh, the wow. art yeah, in your definitely. profession and everything and some people have interpreted this movie to be that Javier Bardem is a stand-in for Aronofsky and that this is almost some sort of um, therapeutic theme for him where he is he this is movies about him in a sense where he is the tortured uh, the tortured poet artist yeah. and he he can't he can't crack you know his next his next glorious project but he turned. He came out with this. I mean, I I have no idea. That, no, I mean, that that's one of the other thousand theories. You could spin so many off of this, and I'm sure there are dozens out there more mm-hmm. that we didn't even hit on. Yes, here. but uh, you have any other thoughts? I I don't. Oh, I do have one thing. Um, this is just an anecdotal, but I watched the documentary Wiener um, on mm-hmm. Showtime, and it's it's really good. It, but that also informed why I was thinking fame and family and celebrity mm-hmm. was because also Anthony Wiener, the former New York congressman. Um, he just had the self-destructive pattern that he had and that compelled him to not only leave politics in the first place, but just to drag his family back into it. And there's a moment in the film where his wife just like, why do we have to do this? And he's, as they're having a documentary crew follow his campaign because mm-hmm. he wanted a good story for it. And it's just like, what compels somebody to like, you know, seek fame, like, and part of that, like that incomplete nature and I, I don't know. I thought that fit really well with the, at least the fame approach. Yeah. Um, but of course, as we said, there's a lot of double and triple, quadruple metaphors here. Right. So. Okay. Right. So that's that's all we got for Mother. We'll be right back in a bit with the news.
Dino back with the news, and our first story of the day uh, is actually a trailer. We have a bunch of new trailers this week after a couple of weeks, so I feel like we haven't talked about trailers. Uh, just, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what the reason is for Super that. Super empty. But uh, we got our first trailer this week for all the money in the world, the latest trailer uh, for a movie from Ridley Scott, mm-hmm. starring Michelle, Fife, or Michelle Williams, Mark Wahlberg, and Kevin Spacey. He's unrecognizable in the role. Uh, this is like a, like a crime drama th- mystery thriller yes. uh, sort of movie, and I, I think it, I think it looks great. Yeah, it's like Prisoners 2.0 with billionaires. <laughs> uh, it, it looks super good. Um, you also forgot Mark Wahlberg is showing up in there uh, I too. You said Mark. Oh, did you? Maybe. I missed it. But yes, I'm I'm just so happy to see that guy away from Transformers. <laughs> right. Um, and he, he did two fantastic movies but just so much of his credit i i lost i lost him in his uh his transformers role earlier this year and i'm just so glad he's back mm-hmm. uh and it looks super entertaining um i just don't know i don't know this story yeah and me i'm neither. resisting the urge to google it right now because i want to know what ultimately kevin spacey's character does because yeah. as frank underwood he plays that visceral uh self-serving president mm-hmm. and now we have him as like a bill an unfeeling billionaire who won't pay 12 million dollars yeah to save his nephew right so yeah and it's a it's a super interesting uh you know true story i yes. believe um mm-hmm. but yeah i, I don't want to look up i never do i never look up the the real life events for any true stories as long as as long as i don't know them previously okay just because i, I want to know it's a little about the movie as possible when I go see it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm in. Do you think it has a chance at the Oscars? Uh, you know, Michelle... It's too, w- too early to tell, maybe. Too early to tell. Michelle Williams looks like she's doing some serious butt kicking because mm-hmm. it's going to ex- look, you know, revolve around or turn around her yes. as a, um, a grieved mother. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to find out, though. I could I could maybe... You know, maybe I mean, obviously, we haven't seen the movie yet. We barely saw how the performances play out but i mean kevin spacey could really tell him so that always is a, i think a boost in the mm-hmm. oscar race so uh we'll have to wait and see about that one but we also got our first trailer for a movie coming out next year it's supposed to come out at the end of this year uh another one from jennifer lawrence that being red sparrow it's her reteaming with uh Hunger games catching fire director francis lawrence which uh, i'm i'm welcoming with open arms because okay yeah. catching five my favorite Hunger games movie so them it's very good them pairing up again uh is a good move on that part and also i, I love i am legend as well so uh francis lawrence thinks a great director and it's basically a black the black widow solo movie i've been waiting for marvel to make uh basically the same premise but it's jeff lawrence in the lead and joel edgerton gets involved and uh, i i'm excited for it yeah okay is she but she's the villain right uh joel edgerton's monologue in this his voiceover makes it sound like that's his prey like that's who he's tasked with taking down maybe but i think it's her story is it okay? Yeah, I think I think we're following her, and then he'll probably be the one trying to track her down to stop her from assassinating somebody. But I don't think we're following Joel Edgerton. I think we're following her. Okay, cool, very cool. But yes, it looks super intriguing. Russian Cold War era. Um, Jeremy Irons is in here somewhere too. Okay. So I think imagine he'll be playing some kind of. I think he's British, right? I think yeah, he's yeah. British. He'll be some. MI6 agent, which right. I think would be perfect for him. I'd love to see him in a Bond movie. Ooh. Let's get to that. What about uh, him? he could be the villain in the next Bond movie? 
Uh, he doesn't make a good villain. His no? his appearance I mean, in Assassin's Creed was okay. You're right, but like, Mufasa's not not very good. Right. I, ultimately, <laughs> I just, Scar, not yes. not Mufasa. Well, he he. It's it's just voice. Yes. But. Yes. But ultimately, just like oh hey grandpa. I mean, not, it's not it's not a it's not a dig at him or his, his persona or anything. It's just like I see a friendly face in Jeremy Irons versus something evil. Yeah. But I could also see him being a handler for Red Sparrow. The secret assassin. Right. So, but yeah, it looks, it looks super good. Yeah. We also got our first trailer for downsizing. Uh, the latest movie from director Alexander Payne starring Matt Damon, mm-hmm. Kristen Wiig, a uh, bunch of other people. Um, yeah. Christopher Waltz is in there. Mm-hmm. Jason Sudeikis is in there as well. And then um, somebody, there's one other person I'm spacing on, but they are there too. Yes. There are other people as well. <laughs> uh, and crazy cool premise because it's about like the world inventing technology to shrink people and set up this like other world on earth for tiny people where like you can basically sign up to shrink yourself and then you're, you get even more money. Like your money, if you're small is like, um, I think like in the trailer, it says like that Matt Damon, Kristen, we got $52,000, but if they went, if they shrunk themselves, that would, be equal to twelve million dollars. Yeah, um, so I mean that is that is a crazy uh, enhancement for for the financial reasons, and it mm-hmm. looks. I don't know how the movie's going to play out. I don't really know what the actual plot of the movie is going to be because they're just kind of setting up the premise at this point. Yeah. But it's a cool premise. So I and I love Matt Damon. Yeah, so I'm going to be there. Super unique too. Um, I can't pick out. Oh, Neil Patrick Harris. Yes, and Laura Dern as well. Laura Dern's in there? Yes. They're they're like a couple or something. Okay. But like so I don't know how that'll all play out, but yeah. Uh those those were who I was missing. Um but yeah, I just don't know where the movie's going with this right. at this point. The the tweet reviews that I've seen, mm-hmm. and I, I mean I try to stay away, but I, they come across yeah. is that it, they say it's a satire of something. And I'm trying to think of where it like what's this trying to do? What mm-hmm. what where is this movie going with? Other than like just shrinking people and put them in like houses and like what's the conflict or, you right. know, I can't, I can't find that out, but this movie's been on my radar because it's just been, it's, it's kind of the funkiest movie with a clear idea of what, it, you know, of story right? Yeah, uh, that I've heard, heard about. Um, so I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath to see what's happening. Like, is it just like a joke about how like the links will go to, you know, stop climate change? Mm-hmm. Is it like a, you know, a class thing or is it just kind of like being wild by the world? Cause you know Matt Damon's monologue at the end is is I think is like some really good lines about you know how just how we've built around a lot of the excitement that's out there in the natural world. But mm-hmm. oh no, it's, I, I'm excited for it though. Would you downsize yourself? Ooh, ooh. Let me see how it turns out for Matt Damon and <laughs> right, Kristen yeah. first. That's that's probably fair. Uh, it just based on the. The money side of it going. Oh yeah, it's a sweet deal. Doing that, going from there to there, I think that that's a crazy good deal. Plus, uh, you know, I don't, it, I don't know what kind of jobs you have down there, but that is like Jason Sudeikis is like, oh yeah, we have three cheesecake factories <laughs> on my yes. road or whatever. So uh, you're obviously living the good life down mm-hmm. there. You see him like getting like. <laughs> You know, entire jugs full of vodka out of yeah. a giant vodka bottle, um, which I mean, I wouldn't drink any of that stuff. But I mean, that's I think it's just yeah. like I could get a Coke bottle. There's one sitting in front right now. Mm-hmm. I could put it in my backyard down there right. and have endless Coke for like a year, yeah, probably. For infinity. Um, 
So I mean, it'd, it'd be a tempting offer, that's for sure. I'm not. I wouldn't be crazy about the uh, shaving my head part. I don't think, but <laughs> it grows back. Right. So uh, not the biggest deal, but uh, probably the biggest trailer that came out this week was the first full trailer for the Disaster mm-hmm. Artist. Oh boy. Yeah. I I'm so excited Thrilled? for this movie. Thrilled for this movie because I finally watched The Room last week. There you go. And oh my gosh. Like I can understand why it's like basically become this cult classic. Mm-hmm. It is, it is easily the worst film I've ever seen, but it's also one of the best experiences I've ever had watching a movie because I watched it with two friends. Uh, one of those being Colton and uh, we just laughed the entire time because of how bad this movie was. And the fact that they are embracing it so hard and they're, they yeah. showed snippets of so many iconic parts of that movie, whether it's like mm-hmm. showing them, you know, playing football or they did the, 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 the chicken dance and the tuxes yeah. and oh man. So, and then they, but they're also going even further and showing like his inspiration mm-hmm. and like James Franco looks and sounds exactly like Tom Wusso. And I don't know how that's possible. Creepy. Uh, like I, I, yeah, like you could sound like, oh yeah, Tommy Wusso is back and playing himself. I'd be like, okay, I believe it. Cause yeah. it, it just looks just like him. And <laughs> like, it, it is insane. Um, but I also oh. love that. Like, <laughs> they're taking the behind the scenes approach to the movie. And like Mm -hmm. you see uh, Tommy like writing the script and he's like, uh, uh, here's Johnny. Uh, He may be a vampire. And you're like, what? (laughs) Like, how come that was in the movie? That'd be awesome. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, what did you, what did you think of it? Yeah. The, the behind the scenes approach to the, one of the worst films ever is so such a great idea because one, you're going to pay tribute to the cult classic, but also how, how a movie turned out that bad mm-hmm. in self-serious Hollywood, I have no idea. But they get to go behind the scenes and be the cast and crew and just joke around with how it all turns out. Because this is not how that movie was made. Oh, no. Like, you know, they did. They, they filmed it all. They did that all. But it turned out awful. But now they get to explain, quote for quote, you know, right. like how it became so bad. And just l- looking at James and then David too. Mm-hmm. Uh, both, I don't think those two have been in a film together yet, have they? At least not to my knowledge. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, they look like they're having a blast mm-hmm. on screen together. Seth Rogen's going to be uh, fantastic when he gets in there. Plus there's Allison Brie. There's Allison Coming Brie. fresh off of Glow. Yes. Great. Did you get to see it? Yeah. Good. Loved, I loved Very it. Good. Loved Mark it. Maron in there as well. Oh, fantastic. Um, but yeah, this just, uh, I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a, a great joke to have a great Hollywood joke to finally get on board with. Um, and then also though, Tommy Musso did this, you know, the, the movie turned out awful, but he's, he's, he's happy that the film's being made. He's easy in on the joke mm-hmm. and you can hold it up as like this Hollywood, you know, success story mm-hmm. in success. Uh, but you know, he made his movie. He wanted to do his movie. He made his movie. And you can wink and nod and say it opened the door for a million different independent artists right. or whatever the case is. But yeah, it just looks terrific. Yeah. And we talked about it a little bit uh, during the break of our double feature. Uh, I will be shocked if Tommy Wiseau is not at the Oscars this year. Oh, I hope Whether he is. it's because the Disaster Artist is nominated for a variety of awards or as a presenter or just sitting in the crowd with James Franco, because 
I just think it, I think it's too good of TV to pass up at this point. But uh, anyways, away from the trailers and to some director news, we got confirmations on directors for three big projects this week. Um, one of those being Skydance finally confirming that Tim Miller will direct the next Terminator movie uh, that's being produced by James Cameron. He's talked about how he wants to do a trilogy um, set after T2 or, you know, or that Terminator and T2 are the only other films that would be, yeah. exist in his, in this new Canon uh, basically. But uh, I think it's great that Tim Miller's finally confirmed, but I don't really care. I'm not super excited about a new Terminator movie. I'm super excited because okay. if I, you, I remember you, your pitch. Yes. yes uh, I, with those two films being fully established, I think the pitch still exists. Yeah. I think that's what they're going to do because Cameron made specific references to modern day technology mm-hmm. and And we know and, Arnold's gonna be in there somehow. Yep. So I I really think that's the way they're going with this, and I think it'll turn out to be it could turn out to be one of the better trilogies. Uh, that we've seen rebooted mm-hmm. in the longest time. That's possible. Um, and yeah, I mean, your pitch, uh, I don't, you have to go back a couple episodes to hear it. Whenever we talked about, I think his trilogy plans, Cameron's trilogy plans before, mm-hmm. but I think your pitch is still the best pitch I've heard for the Terminator trilogy. So I, well, I'd, be, I'd a, be all for it. It's a pitch, not something written. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's fair. Uh, but we also finally got confirmation this week that Patty Jenkins is back for Wonder Woman 2. Yeah. Uh, finally, it's been literally, I mean, it's been, what, three months since Wonder Woman uh, came out in theaters, and mm-hmm. we now finally have the official confirmation that she is directing the sequel, and not only is she directing it, she is producing, she is helping write, and she's getting a massive payday, uh, which is Big great. time. Because she is uh, now scheduled to make seven, anywhere between seven and nine million dollars. On the um, front on, end. On the front end, Ooh. plus... She has back-end points, so basically she's going to get some secret percentage of the profits that we make at the box office. So if the, if, the, if the sequel performs the same or even better than the first movie, I mean, she's going to walk away with, I mean, probably triple of her mm-hmm. salary. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is, this, is a, this is just a great, great, great news. Yes, and now... To be said here, that is probably typical of most big budget directors. Yes. But we're just, you know, it needs to be said that Patty is getting treated like she should have been. Right. She's getting treated like every other director. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because she's not a man doesn't mean she can't direct and doesn't mean she shouldn't be paid like all the other top directors. And I think... There were there were some sources that said this was um, a complicated negotiation when it took longer because it's kind of an unprecedented deal where Patty Jenkins made the director um, normal like the the normal amount for a director on a first time blockbuster of like about a million dollars, which is still a lot of money. Yeah. But you know when you think of you know Zack Snyder's getting like eleven to twelve or something for BVS and like all that stuff, like you're like you know, Patty Jenkins is going to want more, a lot more. And I think getting seven to nine million now is going to open up the door for Ava DuVernay to come in after a wrinkle in time yes. and get paid big time to do a Star Wars movie, a Marvel movie, or whatever she wants to do next. Um, and then, you know, Michelle McLaren, I mean, anybody, mm-hmm. any other female director now has this path, which 
is great because yeah. now there's not going to, you know, the next time a female director breaks big like Patty Jenkins just did this year, they're not, there's not going to be these long negotiations because they say, look, this is what Patty did. If you, yeah. if you want me to do the same thing, pay me like Patty. Precedent setting. And I think, I think that that is great. Absolutely. So um, in addition to that, um, she also has obviously more creative control. And in doing so, THR revealed that Patty is bringing on um, Dave Callahan to help write the script. He previously did the script for the first Expendables. He helped break the story on Godzilla. Uh, the 2014 Gareth Edwards movie, and uh, they were initially working on a project previous to her landing Wonder Woman called Jackpot. Um, that obviously since fell through because of her commitment to the DC universe. But I think she's obviously comfortable with this guy, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that she's bringing them in just further shows to me that this is going to be Patty's movie. Oh, yeah, 100. Pair him with yeah. Like I don't know what his chops would be, you know, or his special skill set as mm-hmm. a writer, but obviously. Expendables, as as light of a movie as it was, you know, during plot and substance, everything like mm-hmm. that, it was so it was tons of fun. Yeah. So lots of action. And you know, if I had to take a dig at Wonder Woman, it would be that the ensemble, when assembled, was was pretty average. So if he's there too, I I, I don't know. I think those are. I think that's. I think the movie is filling its holes. Um, and Wonder Woman 2 is going to be something awesome, especially set in the Cold War. So yeah, I'm excited. Uh, but moving on to the biggest director announcement of the week, yeah. one that may, coincidentally or not came a day after Patty Jenkins signed. So I don't know if this was just coincidence or maybe Lucasfilm called up Patty and was like, hey, do you want to direct Star Wars? And then Patty said, hey, DC. Oh, hey. they want Lucasfilm wants me to direct Star Wars Nine. What do you want to pay me? They're like, oh crap. Uh, yeah. What'd you say? You want nine million? Okay, you got nine million dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, Patty Jenkins is not directing Star Wars Episode Nine as great as that would have been, uh, but instead it's going to be J.J. Abrams coming back to the franchise after previously directing Star Wars: Force Awakens, revig- uh, reinvigorating the entire world's fever for Star Wars movies and Star Wars culture and books and comics, and he's re- he he relaunched the Star Wars brand in a big way. Yes. And yeah, um, he is not only directing the movie, but he has a co he's co-writing alongside Chris Terrio, mm-hmm. who obviously wrote, he got an Oscar win for his screenplay on Argo. Um, and then he also did part of the script for Batman v Superman. And I think he has story credit or maybe it's screenplay credit on justice league as well. So you don't know what parts of BVS he's accounted for, but I think that is an interesting pairing. And then a couple hours after they announced this this uh, directing announcement and the new writer, uh, they announced that the film has officially been pushed back to December 20th, 2019. Uh, all in all, I think... Or what do you think? You're the Star Wars guy. Yeah, well, no, this is fine. I mean, that's I think that's literally the only reaction you can have to it. He like you you laid out his credentials his um his you know his ability to breathe life into subjects uh is fantastic he's he's this he is the perfect mimic to Steven Spielberg on the planet I would say and he'll do what he did for episode seven hopefully with you know, story guidance and tonal shifts that would have been presented by Johnson. But I just, I don't really, that's fine. The excitement for episode nine's directors that, you know, got sucked out of me. 
<laughs> and, and so th- I don't have anything to look. The only thing to look forward to episode nine for right now is just episode nine. Okay. Nothing innovative. I mean, unless JJ's planning something, you know, spectacular. Uh, but yeah, everything will be fine. Like, it's just, this is actually the most boring story we have today. I, I, <laughs> really? I will say in all honesty. Yeah. You're not true. excited about this. It's fine. I think this is great news. It, it, well, depending on who else they could have picked, you know, but it's I just mean, like, I mean, uh, it was reportedly Ryan Johnson passed on it. So the, yeah, uh, right. which, which makes sense because yes. of his schedule. Mm-hmm. If, if he would have accepted this job, even if they would have pushed the movie back to December either way, Johnson would do press and everything for uh last Jedi and then immediately be starting writing a script with Terry or somebody else yeah. for nine casting doing all pre-production work and then shooting like that's another that's another two years in star wars with Mm -hmm. no breaks because it's not like oh well you know the russos stayed on for multiple marvel movies in a row they didn't do anything else in between but they had three or four years in between movies not two years with no real heads up that they're making these adjustments but um i think yeah, like I said, this is this is great news. I don't know why people aren't excited about this. Well, it's just like okay, like he listen. JJ it did it was it's a master class on how to make an, a film for Star Wars Episode Seven. Big budget with heart, humor, and impactful story on characters that have been alive for alive in the hearts of Americans and people around the world for thirty <laughs> years. But it's just like it's it's more of the same, and that's fine. I don't need something to be blown away by. Well, not blown away by, but to be, you know, shaken. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to see a, a, the the apex of the story that he set in motion. And having the guy who began it conclude it, sure, why not? I I was never hyped about Colin Trevorrow. Right. Uh, but J.J. JJ doesn't have any of that hype. He's like, you know, that's so awful to say, but it's relative. He's killed every movie that he's he's done, except for maybe Star Trek Into Darkness. That was the one where I... Okay, killed know. in a good way. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Just, he's done a phenomenal job. So you expect awesome from him. Right. Now, like... Why isn't that a good thing? <laughs> it is. It's fun. It's just like, it is a good thing, but... See, that's the thing. I think, I think it... I kept thinking about this as I see... I didn't know this was the way you were going to take the news. I thought you'd be closer to my end where I'm thrilled that jj is doing it. i'm not i think ryan would have been the best choice but obviously because scheduling that just seems impossible right but i think i think jj is a fantastic choice to f- close it out and i can't stop thinking about he's like ron howard okay how about no that? he's not yeah no, he's, he's gonna not. he's gonna do that he's gonna get the job done oh my god and he's going to get this i mean like listen he's if, a if jj was coming in just to plug and play the movie would not have been pushed he would just take whatever script um uh, who was Jack Thorne uh, was Jack, writing? Yeah, like they didn't have a script. I think okay. that's that's what it was. They they the clearly had something. Jack yeah. Thorne didn't come on and do nothing for a couple of months. That's true. Okay. He he made a script. Like Lucasfilm has an idea for this movie. Okay, and I don't think you push it six months um, and hire JJ to do. Okay, JJ, we're in trouble. Just plug and play. Direct the movie exactly. And plus, why would JJ want to do that? It just doesn't make any sense. I well, think if this if this announcement was made back in back in twenty thirteen, whenever it was announced that JJ was doing this movie, mm-hmm. if it was announced JJ's doing episode seven, and then whatever twenty fourteen they announced Ryan Johnson's doing episode eight. Okay, and then imagine the January. I think Trevor was 
announced to direct a couple months before episode seven. Um, yeah, it was actually yeah, it was like it was like almost right after he had gotten he had the done final, Jurassic World, right? Yeah, the box office. For I think it was Jurassic like right, it was right around Comic Con D twenty three, so it was like in July or August. Mm-hmm. But imagine if they didn't announce Trevorrow, and then January twenty sixteen rolls around, and they announce J.J. Abrams back episode nine. Everybody would be losing their minds. Everybody would be so happy. And I think the fact that people have already kind of brushed, pushed aside Force Awakens and being like, "Eh, it was fine. It was a remake of New Hope. Eh, it was okay. Whatever." Like, well, it wasn't a remake of New Hope. It, it was. It had the same themes, but there's so much different stuff in there too. Exactly. But I think like there's. I think there's way more reasons to be excited than just to be meh, like about JJ. Like, I think he, I mean he. Sure, you can say he's he is a he's a, he's like a duplicate of Spielberg, like okay. whatever. But he's also never been in this position before. Never. He's got to, He's got a total creative freedom here. Yes. Yeah. He people are like, oh, he can't close. He's great at setup, but he's never had to close out an idea that wasn't his i agree you know, he set up this but ryan is going to do something by all by everything that's been being said about mm-hmm. his movie that is going to shake up the star wars landscape and the fact that jj was saying oh i'm super jealous of ryan's yes. script mm-hmm. he has a great script i think he, that makes him excited for nine yes and the fact that he's going to then direct it to close out those cool ideas that ryan mm-hmm. is further setting up but also giving him another ability, another chance to see the criticisms that he got for Seven. Saying, "Oh, they just put another Death Star in. Oh, it's well, you know, Jakku is you know the new Tatooine. Ray is the new Luke. Uh, Poe yeah. is the new uh, Han. Like it's just oh, these are all just replacement characters from the original trilogy. They're stand-ins. Han's a stand-in for Obi Wan. Blah 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 blah. On yeah, and on and on. Sure, he can now do like he had to do that." He had to ride nostalgia and set up all that stuff so people would be back on board for Star Wars. Was there somebody? Is there somebody on the the uh, interspear <laughs> internet here that you're like directing this specifically no. towards? It's just like it feel like it's the masses. I feel like I, I think I the feel masses like, think it's okay. Like it's right, not, but I think it's more than okay. Well, it's it's the it's the same guy who did the first one. Yeah, and when you say the word same, there's there's no peak there, and there's there's. I don't agree with that. There's relative right there. Because when the Russos were announced to come back for Captain America 3 after doing Winter Soldier, I think many people were very excited about it. Yes, because it was their first time, right? Right. And then the fact that, oh, they killed Civil War as well. Guess what? They're back again to do two more Avengers movies. Perfect. Great hands. Like James Gunn. Oh, man, I wish they would have gotten somebody else to do Guardians 3 because James Gunn, I don't want him to do it for so, too long. I just don't yeah. I just don't think that I don't think that counts. But how high how high was the high for James Gunn when he wrote his piece on directing the third one? It was great news. But then, I you think, know, the next day you were you're probably back to, OK, well, James Gunn is doing that think, one and it's going to be like maybe think, different than the second first one. But, you know, and, sure. But I think it's also I think the. The gun news was probably more expected, where this one may be expected. I think when Trevorrow was kicked off, it was it's either going to be Ryan or JJ. I think mm-hmm. when we when we did the big question last week, we started that I was like, is there any other options? And you were like, yeah, but like really, there, there probably wasn't. Sure. It was going to be one of these two guys, just out of 
Lucasfilm can't take a chance. Proximity and reliability. Yeah, Yeah. Lucasfilm could not afford, and maybe I think that's even more interesting aspect that JJ's coming in. JJ's going to go in knowing he's going to pretty much be able to do whatever he wants. Yeah, because Lucasfilm can't fire him. I, you're you're absolutely right. But also, I do like what you said earlier about this right here. He finally gets to finish something Mm -hmm. because he began Alias. He began Lost. He began his new Star Trek series. Uh, and there may have been missteps along the way during his 10 years, but ultimately he did leave those things mm-hmm. to go on to do other things. Like yeah. he didn't do all the Mission Impossibles. Right. Um, so I love the idea that he gets to talk, he gets to conclude something mm-hmm. because he is so creative. And he gets to do something, like that's the thing, he gets to do something new. It, he, he, Yes, he's coming back to Star Wars, but J.J., has never, again, he's never followed in the footsteps of somebody else. It's always, JJ is the setup guy, and then we let other people run wild with his ideas. Mm-hmm. Now he gets other people's ideas and gets to run wild with those and end. And I think that I think that's a cool, you know, possibility. Yeah, absolutely. But it, it, when, you're, when you're at this point, I, I think this is the, what the, the reaction is, is it's just like, okay, cool, great. But I've got episode... Eight on my horizons right now. Sure. So when I when I start to hear cast lists, when I start to see you know um, everything else around the movie beginning to foment, and mm-hmm. you know when we get the trailer, maybe, maybe that's when maybe things will change. Or I'll, we'll talk. I can you know I'll my excitement for him being the director will you know like peak. But right now, I it, it mean it's just sort of like oh okay great next and, 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 and you know it's. But I also think like, okay, if Ryan Johnson was announced, the internet, everybody would be hyped because it's like, oh, that means Last Jedi is great. But really, we don't know. Last Jedi could be terrible. It's probably not going to be. But I think J.J. doing seven and having a really solid track record on his entire filmography, he deserves kind of like this, 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 this praise almost in a sense where he deserves it. He does he deserves the benefit of the doubt. Oh yeah. Is anyone doubting him? I don't, I don't think so, but I think, or not the benefit of the doubt. Just, I think people just need to give him a little bit more, give him his due a little more where it's like, yeah, okay. He's the safe choice. He'll do fine. But really he, he made a, he made a star Wars movie that a lot of people, it's my favorite star Wars movie. I know it's not that for a lot of people, but for, Certainly in their top four, I would say. Certainly for the top four, yes. I mean, I know there's some outliers who are like, oh, no, it's worse than the prequels. I mean, I can't agree. I can't. Well, those people. Don't I can't really understand, understand that perspective at all. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, we talked about I mean, we got to move on from Abrams. Um, but just briefly, uh, any thoughts on Terrio co-writing? Uh, yeah, I think he'll. I, he's he looks like he's a guy who knows what, what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Argo, you mentioned it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think he's writing. Well, I, like a Henry, a Henry the twelfth or thirtieth movie, like Shakespeare or something like that. Okay. So he he knows looks like he knows dialogue. If you're messing yes. around with Shakespeare or you know, uh, mid century English, mm-hmm. you you you've got some chops. So that, I think that's a good pairing. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see where this goes. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with Terry doing it. Uh, release date push. I think makes sense. Makes total sense. Yep. And Starting it makes it. I know it's probably not going to happen, but I don't know why they don't delay Han Solo to Christmas as well. Because it. I mean, 
just stop. I mean, I get why they're trying to go back to May because that's where the original trilogy is there and everything. Mm-hmm. But like, come on. I mean, you have found your home in December. You are crushing it in yeah. December. Two movies in a row. It's going to be three. And now that nine's there, I don't know why you would try to move away um, from a go from a, a a box office release date that is completely uncrowded. You have no real competition outside of Oscar movies that you're going to crush at the box office anyways, and then try to compete with. I mean, if it had stayed in 2019, John Wick 3 just got dated like the week before mm-hmm. um, this would have landed. Avengers 4 would have been out a couple weeks before that. And then you got all the the incoming movies in June. So like, it just makes it makes no sense to have stars go up against even more competition, even though it would still beat them. But by the margin, it would, yeah. it would, it would go it, down. It's a synergy. It's a synergy thing yeah. at the end of the day. But I mean, Abrams, I think maybe Abrams needs that time, especially with a film that's going to have a lot of expectations on it to make sure he gets story screenplay, right? Production down locked in and then ample time for reshoots because Abrams did lock his movie in like um, um, three, four weeks before release. Mm-hmm. So he likes to play around and make sure he gets it right. So yeah. he's a perfectionist. So they need give, they've gave him time to get it right. Right. Plus, I mean, if it looks like they're starting from scratch on the story or the script or whatever. So, uh, I mean, with Terrio and him rewriting the movie, giving them because now the production's not going to start at the beginning of 2018. It's going to start in the summer of 2018. Yep. So that gives them nine months basically to to finalize the story and cast and do all that stuff. So uh, much more comfortable than if they were saying, "All right, rewrite the script and start production in three months." Back. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. like you guys are really Ooh. just going for the cash at this point. So um, yeah, that's enough Star Wars. <laughs> okay, wait, one final. Note. Okay, okay. This is why I think this it is this. The the special glimmer of Star Wars stories has just been kind of extinguished. We we rode the the ouster of Phil Lord and Chris Miller, mm-hmm. and now we watched Ryan Johnson get not Ryan Johnson, uh, Colin Trevorrow get agree to leave the project. Mm-hmm. So I think it's the idea that they found people that probably did love the story and care about the the intention. Um, have now kind of like washed away and we do see that it is, it is a corporate movie making business. Yeah. Now the, the, the facade of star Wars for star Wars sake mm-hmm. is kind of gone. Okay. And maybe that's why when people, when Abrams is back on there, it's just like, okay, yeah, he crushed the first one. Now he gets to crush this one. How about that? that and that's, uh, yeah. and that makes that makes everyone just kind of like mellowed. Sure. I mean, I think that's, I mean, th- that may have been part of the reason they chose Abrams just because they're like, okay, people are going to be fine with Abrams, but most people aren't going to hate it. Right. I'm just surprised that more people aren't that much more excited about okay. it because yeah. it's Abrams and not Trevorrow. Like, All right. That's, that's an upgrade in my opinion. So, I, I, I agree. Um, I agree. And, anyways, we got to move on because uh, we have the big question to get to. <laughs> it's, Please. It's, it's a fun one because uh, we both loved it last week. And, so did. Uh, we know the sequel's coming in 2019 um, tentatively. And that the movie is going to have all of the people back, but 27 years later as their grown-up versions, basically in their like late 30s, early 40s, Yep. Um, which brought us to the question of who should play the older versions of the Loser Club in It Chapter 2. And there's so many suggestions out there. I've seen so many listicles um, the last week and a half um, trying to pinpoint all these different, you know, who should play each of the six members of the Loser's Club. And we're going to give our takes now. Um, we'll probably have to go through a little quicker than I would have liked just because of time constraints. But 
Um, my first suggestion for Bill Denbro, uh, he's, he's a little young, but he's hilarious. And I think he would do the whole stutter, um, okay. awkward part of Bill. Great. Zach Woods. Oh, uh, okay. He is, he would be 34, um, by the time the movie comes out, but he is currently starring in Silicon Valley, which is an HBO show, which is owned by Time Warners, mm-hmm. which Time Warners owns HBO and Warner Brothers. I don't know if that's really going to factor into their decisions, but there is at least some connective tissue there. Okay. Um, and I think Zach Woods is, is in all of in most of my suggestions, I wanted to I wanted to maintain the kind of unknown aspect, but go for one or two stars. All right. But really, I wanted people that could still do the comedy because I loved the comedic parts of it the most. And I think it is that is the that is the factor that needs to stick in the sequel for it to work the best um, is the the comedy and the relationships. And um, I think Zach Woods would be a really good leading man um, that could you know, do the comedy, do the awkwardness and everything. Okay, yeah, I, I do like that. I think the awkwardness of Bill uh, translates perfectly from what Zach uh, Woods can play. Mm-hmm. For me, though, I did. I picked somebody who I thought was a little bit awkward. Has done one horror film, I believe, um, but is relatively unknown to a wider movie-going audience who did not see him on his uh, television show. And that's Adam Scott. You mentioned Good him. Choice. You mentioned him earlier. I, I wondered because I did mention it earlier, and you didn't say anything. Yeah. I was like, oh, I bet he has him somewhere. Uh, yes, and I have Adam Scott on here as. Uh, my choice for Bill because I think Adam Scott has that awkward range, but also I've seen him play more serious characters mm-hmm. and it, the second half from um, as far as I've understood is a little bit darker. Yeah. So if he needs to have some gravitas, I think Adam will be perfect for that. Um, and that is who we've got locked in right there. Okay. Do you have any alternates? I do have one alternate. Okay. And that would be, well, I have two but they're both kind of the same person. Okay. Jason Bateman. That's who I have. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Or Josh uh, Duminal. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think Jason Bateman would probably, if I had to choose the most realistic, mm-hmm. I think it'd be Jason Bateman because he would be 50 when the movie comes out. So he yeah. would fit the age range better. Plus he has a really good relationship with, with Warner Brothers um, doing Horrible Bosses 1 and 2. That's he was right. in Central Intelligence. And then I th- he has... Um, a game night or tag or one of one of those two movies he's set to star next year for them. So they he obviously likes working with them and I and I think especially coming off of, of uh, Ozark, mm-hmm. which I haven't seen yet, but it's gotten great um, great praise so far. I think he he can definitely do both the comedic stuff and yeah. also um, based on Ozark the dark serious stuff as well. Perfect, awesome. Um, so yeah, let's go on to Beverly. Who okay. would be your first choice for Beverly Marsh? All right. can I? There's an obvious one floating out there. Uh-huh. I'm going to skip over that one real quick. Okay. I think you'll probably say it. You want to mention who it is? Well, it's um, Jessica Chastain yeah. is the name that's being floated like as the ultimate fan cast. Right. I mean, uh, but she's... also the director said that he would love that, right? Right. I mean, they, they worked together previously on Mama. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously Chastain is blowing up right now. Um, maybe she'd get Oscar love for Molly's game at the end of the year. She's doing a superhero movie finally. Yep. So um, I think, I mean, her, her notoriety is only going to continue to rise. And I think she'd be a good starring face for Bev. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but I've got Karen Gillian. Okay. Up next. Uh, I think that she, she does, she can play a heavy handed character. Um, she does. She's doing that in guardians of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. albeit underneath, uh, Lots of loads of prosthetics <laughs> and makeup, but I think she could totally crush Beverly. 
Um, and with the older version and everything like that, I think. I mean, she's like, Carrie so I think she's like a little 30, young. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, what give or take 10 years on <laughs> right. a movie. I mean, yeah. I mean, Jessica Chastain's playing, what, 27 year old in Molly's game or yes. whatever? So. I mean, yeah, you can you can mess with age in Hollywood right. for sure. Absolutely. Um, How about you, Cooper? The the because we already mentioned Chastain, I think she would be the most likely choice because of the connection Muschietti already. But I think the other popular suggestion and one that makes a lot of sense would be Amy Adams. I didn't yeah, um, have that down because she's in the Warner Brothers family, playing Lois Lane in the DCEU already. Um, and I, I mean, she's she's a she's a phenomenal actress. So I don't know why they wouldn't want her. I think she would look. I think she looks most like the younger version of Bev already. Okay. Yeah. Um, just put a couple of freckles on her and you're good to go. Do you have any alternates other than Amy Adams? No. Okay. I do have one. Okay. And I've got Isla Fisher. <sighs> and I think she could do a really good job as well. Um, I do love Isla Fisher. Nocturnal Animal. I got thinking of Nocturnal Animals this this week. And yeah. She's only there for like two scenes though. Yeah. But I think she did a fantastic job uh, <laughs> in those two head. scenes <laughs> right um Spoiler but, alert, sorry <laughs> you know it, it's a movie about fear and mm-hmm. she's terrified and you know her scenes there so yeah. uh, i think she could crush it there okay uh moving on to richie tozier uh this one i stole directly from uh finn wolfhard and pretty much every other listicle out there uh bill Hader. Mm-hmm. he's he'd be 41 so he's basically the perfect age to play the 27 year year later version of Richie. He can definitely do the comedic stuff, uh, which is, yes. I think a must because I don't know what these characters like 27 years later, but I, I want Richie to still be the, the sarcastic witty uh, member of the group that continued that throws one liners um, every other minute, because I think that was one of the best parts of it as well. So I think Bill hit and plus he, Bill Hader looks like an older version of Finn Wolfhard. So I think I think that that that, that is the only suggestion I have for Richie. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I had Bill Hader too. Uh, just because, yeah, like you said, it, it's almost too it's perfect. It's too obvious, yeah. But so I've got somebody who is 35. He recently did a Netflix special where he played a 75-year-old man. Uh, but John Mulvaney. Okay. Or Mulaney, I'm sorry. John He's Mulvaney. got two stand-up specials. He's a stand-up comedian, but I think he could crush it as Richie. Okay. Uh, you'll, you'll. I mean, the best way to describe his comedy is smart guy with, you know, who smart guy awkward, mm-hmm. and I think he would totally kill it. You have to take a look at. Some I don't. Of his I don't think stuff. I've ever seen him in anything. But yeah, he's 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 charismatic. He's kind of kind of on edge, funny, and I I think he could totally pick up where uh, Finn left off. Okay, uh, moving on to Ben Hanscom. Uh, from my understanding, Ben grows out of his chubby phase as a child and becomes a hunk uh, in his older days. So uh, my first suggestion, Chris Pine. He'd be 39. Uh, he's coming off of Wonder Woman. He's I think WB's going to want to keep him around, whether or not he's in Wonder Woman 2 or not. And uh, I think Chris Pine, would, he'd be, he'd be, he would be the name of this cast, I think, where you'd say, oh, it's Chris Pine, the guy from Star Trek, the guy from Wonder Woman. Uh, I think I think that would be a, that'd be a good suggestion. Well, definitely for teenage girls, but I think Jessica Chastain would shadow him. Okay, yeah, sure. But I put, um, I mean, this is a little bit. I'm reaching here a little bit, but I've got Chris Hemsworth. Ooh, okay. I think it's the ultimate pivot off of uh, who the who the Ben character is 
That was, right I mean, there. that would be great. And Chris has already, he's done kind of a horror film, the more comedy, I would say, than that. But uh, I, I, I said that out loud to myself after thinking maybe Danny McBride, if they subvert how it usually typically goes in the right. book. But uh, I thought, I think Chris would be a fantastic choice. <laughs> the funny thing is, I don't know if you've noticed this year, but like there's been this whole who's the best Chris debate. The superhero (laughs) community of Chris Pine, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans, and Chris Pratt. Yes. Um, uh, What's the kid's name who plays um, Ben in in it? I don't remember his name, but like his suggestion on the interviews. Yeah, Jeremy Taylor, I think. That sounds Um, right. uh, Whatever. He always suggests Chris Pratt. I suggest Chris Pine. You suggest Chris (laughs) Hemsworth. So we just need somebody out there to want Chris Evans, and then we can actually determine who is the best Chris. (laughs) By who Warner Brothers casts to play Ben. <laughs> Pit them against each other and yeah. see who wins. Uh, but I, I, I like the Hemsworth edition uh, suggestion. The only other alternate I have uh, would be Joel Edgerton. Oh, uh, he yeah. has... Uh, I think he would. I think he would look more like an older version of Ben. He's much more um, middle of the road, like right, handsome, if right. you will. <laughs> he's not like Chris Prine is like he's literally, you know, he is like the the poster child for a good looking guy in a sense, just like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you can say that about any of the Chris's, I guess you, well, he you played, suggested. He, he was cast as Prince Charming and into the woods. And right. It was like the ultimate personification of who exactly. he is. Yes. So, uh, but Joel Edgerton also has a relationship with one with WB because he did midnight special black mask and great Gatsby. Mm-hmm. So he's obviously no stranger to the studio. And I think this would be depending. It all depends on what, or how much they want to pay for all of these stars. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, the rumor is they, they want to go star heavy. But uh, I think Joel Edgerton is just in that middle ground where he's recognizable to a lot of people. I'm a huge fan of Joel Edgerton. But then there's also a lot of people who don't, um, they don't see him with any particular role. But then he could do this and, like, have a huge breakout moment. Oh, yeah. Unless he does Suicide Squad 2 as uh, Captain Cold. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, back-end deals will, uh, are, you know, getting getting money on the back-end after ticket revenue, uh, after its phenomenal performance. I think I could bring in a lot of star power. Mm-hmm. That would be phenomenal. Um, okay, who's okay. next? Uh, next up, Eddie Kasprak. And uh, the suggestion that came to our mind pretty much instantly. Okay. Charlie Day. Oh, Wow. I haven't seen that suggested anywhere, but I think he would, he would, he would instantly, I think he immediately personifies that, um, that scared nature that Eddie has with the smug and scared. Yes. Yes. But he, but he can, yeah. And he can also pull off those, 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 those one liners to, you know, combat, um, Mm -hmm. um, 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 with Richie. So I, th- I think he would be a great choice. And again, he has a working relationship with Warner Brothers. He did Fist Fight this year or last year. And then he was uh, in um, uh, Pacific Rim. Um, so, I, I mean, I, th- I think he would be a, a very solid choice. Again, playing up the comedic elements. Um, and the But also, he wouldn't be too big of a star. Yeah, okay. Uh, I went with Paul Rudd. Ooh, uh, because okay. we were going star heavy. Um, now I don't know if that's realistic. I think Paul's going to be plenty busy with whatever else he's got out there, right? Because um, he's coming off of a superhero kick. Mm-hmm. But my most realistic one, and one that I think would do just fine, is Topher Grace. <laughs> and this is, and this is because, this is because Eddie. Even though Eddie does overcome a lot of what's holding him back, I still see him as a little bit frail. Mm-hmm. And Topher is rather short for a i think he's like five six five seven five eight but i think he would be perfect uh 
for Eddie just to be able to, I think he can deliver those lines too. Mm-hmm. Um, but also he just uh, reminds me of someone who is a lot more like, uh, okay, okay. We should still really think five or six or seven times. About right, these guys, yeah. Okay. But then still able to like, you know, clap back at you mm-hmm. if you question all any of his uh his courage so i think that would be a good choice yeah i like it uh the only alternate i had for eddie was ed norton oh because i don't i feel like we don't see enough edward norton um and we, we i haven't seen ed norton since birdman yeah uh, he was in collateral beauty yeah <laughs> uh, that, I, I, that was, I think that was the last movie he did again with warner brothers um and I think he he could he could do the the unnerving nature of Eddie oh, I think yeah. pretty well. Absolutely. Um he's a little older than I think Eddie would be realistically, but I mean, who cares? Um moving on to Mike Hanlon, the suggestion that came to my mind as I was watching it was Ray Fisher. Um problem is he would be 31 by the time the movie hits theaters. So he would be basically 30 uh, when the movie is filming, mm-hmm. so he'd be basically 10 years too young at that point. But I do think Ray Fisher looks older than 30 and can pull off um, pull off that character yeah. well enough. Plus, again, WB Family, he is lined up to play Cyborg and lead a Cyborg movie potentially. And if that movie is, is not going to happen for a couple more years, just throw him a bone. Basically have him star in this movie, increase his popularity with the audience even more. And then you can announce a cyborg movie and people would be thrilled about it. Okay. Yeah, I dig it. I dig it. But I went with, um, Chubita Odifer. Okay. Sorry. Um, and definitely the right age. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not well. I mean, he, he got introduced to a larger audience in Doctor Strange. Right. If people hadn't known him before mm-hmm. from anything else, from his various roles. But I think he could actually crush his mic uh, because Mike definitely becomes a badass by the end of that movie. Okay. And that's the way I see Ojefer today. Uh, so I would love to see him get into the movie. Okay. Since I wasn't I wasn't really sure how plausible a Ray Fisher cast okay. would be, uh, my other suggestion would be David Oyelowo. Um, oh yeah! Because again, he is somebody I don't think we see Absolutely. enough of. Um, he does a lot of smaller movies, and then if he's in bigger movies like Interstellar or something for WB, he is playing a side character. Uh, which again, he'd be part of an ensemble here, but he would still be a bigger part of it. Um, yeah. Even though, to my knowledge, it sounds like they gave most of his Mike's story away to um, Ben in the first movie, but Mike's the only one that sticks around. Um, and Derry um, in the years that follow. So I think he's still going to have a pretty big role to play in rounding the team together and everything. So um, he would be one of my other alternates um, as well. Fantastic. Pick. So uh, two, I'll give two other ones quickly. Um, yes. They're probably both unlikely, but. Okay. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Oh, he, that'd be too awesome. He teased on Instagram. He was like congratulating Muschietti about the opening weekend. He's like, can't wait to work with you soon. Mm hmm. What could that mean? I don't know. That was just something that came to my mind. Plus, obviously, again, he's he's worked at WWE relentlessly. Um, he has Rampage coming out next year, and then he's he's right. set to play Black Adam in the DCEU at some point. So uh, he would be easily the star of that movie. And further, I mean, he can do the comedic stuff for sure. Um, the action stuff, if they go there, and then I would want to see him kind of prove some dramatic stuff yeah, as well potentially totally. um and then the other one i think is even more far-fetched would be will smith just because his schedule's so busy 
but I think he would again be that star powered name. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's super busy, so I don't know if that's really even All possible. Right, well, I had one alternate myself though. Okay, I had Jamie Fox. I almost had him. Yeah, yeah but so I, I'm like, you know what? Actually, I won't even say it because we're going a little low here. <laughs> but I mean, you're, you're talking Will Smith. So yeah, I at I'm least going out put there. Fox out there. Yeah, I think that that's totally fair. And then the last uh, one we have to fan cast, uh, Stanley Uris. And this is one of the most fun ones I think okay. I had to cast. I went with, and I guess I was thinking about him this week, but James Franco. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's looking to stay small time. Mm-hmm. Maybe he wants to join. You know, uh, this great horror film series that is you know now finally out there uh but i would love to see him in there yeah okay uh the only suggestion i have uh which again is one i haven't seen anywhere else okay thomas middleditch oh uh, yes I, right i don't even care about mine anymore like i, th- I think that, that that is just too perfect it, to pass up absolutely perfect um and again he has the silicon valley hbo wb connection mm-hmm. um plus um, this summer during the Silicon Valley hiatus, um, between right. filming, he did, um, God, he's, did, he's doing currently, I think still Godzilla yep. two mm-hmm. for Warner brothers. So if that movie hits maybe in the break between what season five and season six or season four and season five, whatever season they're going on, um, five now, six, yep. uh, or they would be going on then. I think middle ditch would be a perfect choice for Stanley. Oh Yeah. Absolutely, I, I think so too. Um, if age-wise he doesn't fit the, he the would he would be thirty-seven. Like 30. Oh, he's he he can't be that. Old. He's thirty-five currently, so in two years he'd be thirty-seven. Wow, I do not see him like I that know. at all. Um, but okay, I do have one more. Okay. This one, this one's a little lame and probably <laughs> <laughs> probably doesn't fit. But I've got Vince Vaughn for Stanley. For Stanley, I could see him being like Ben or something, maybe. Maybe, but I think Vince Vaughn could take a. Take a seat in there. Um, huh. It would be interesting. Sure. Vaughn is a little bit more bulky than we see Stanley. Yeah. But of course, it's, 20, it's 27 years, years later. later. So, okay. so much can happen. All right. So, uh, very quick before we get out of here. If you if you were the exec at WB and New Line and you were proving casting and you were given your list, rattle off who would star in your version of It Chapter 2 for each character. Okay. From my list. Yes. yes. So, I've got Adam Scott as Bill. I'm taking Karen Gillian as Bev. John Mulaney as Richie. Topher Grace as Eddie over Paul Rudd. Because okay. they can't afford Paul Rudd at this point. I think they, right? I think they probably can. Yeah, actually, you know. I mean, Paul, it's it's making a ton of money. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, and then for Ben, we're going to go Chris Hemsworth. Okay. Absolutely. No hands down. Jamie Foxx, if he's available, we'll make the offer. And of course, James Franco is staying. Well, you know, well, you, you can steal Thomas Middleditch. Can I if you steal want Thomas Middleditch? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah you perfect. can steal anybody. I mean, that's fine. Um, okay, so oh, I like that cast. Uh, if it was me, I would go Jason Bateman for Bill Denbro. I would go Amy Adams for Bev. I would go Bill Hader for Richie. I would go. Um, I want to go. I'll go Chris Pine for Ben. There we go. Uh, Charlie Day for Eddie. Yeah. Um, Ray Fisher for Mike, and then Thomas Bilditch for Stanley. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, we will obviously have to wait at least a couple of months to figure out casting for any of these characters, but I think uh, either one of those would be a very intriguing uh, cast for IT Chapter 2, and we'll have to see if any of those suggestions maybe make it out there. Yeah, the possibilities around this film have so much potential mm-hmm. because it's done so well. It's an, 
it's an American classic book at this point. Right. So, you know, we'll see, it'd be crazy to see who's clamoring, if anyone's clamoring to be in the film, mm-hmm. and how much uh, power Warner Brothers has over, you know, what they want to see done here. Right. Uh, so, yeah, that those are our suggestions for the casting in It Chapter 2. Before we sign off, Josh, what do we review next week? We are going to see the Kingsmen. Golden Circle. Circle. Yes. Yeah. And them team up with their American cousins, the mm-hmm. statesmen, who I am so thrilled to finally see on yes. screen. Uh, Channing Tatum's character, anytime I see it, just like lights up that entire film. Um, and then, you know, Colin Firth is still, I, yeah. I appreciate that guy. A Colin Firth ton. is great. And Aaron Edgerton, or Taron Edgerton, sorry. Um, the guy has been on an acting tear mm-hmm. lately. No pun intended. <laughs> so, uh, what about you? What is? Oh yeah, I'm I'm psyched to see Kingsman Chapter Two, not Chapter Two, uh, Kingsman: The Golden Circle, mm-hmm. because loved the first movie so much, and the fact that it's coming back finally after uh, what two or three years yeah. from the first one. Um, can't wait to see it. And yeah, this introduction of the Statesman, whether it's Chain Tatum, Pedro Pascal, Halle Berry, Jeff Bridges, um, lots of fun new faces in this franchise, plus the addition of. Um, uh, Julianne Moore yes. as villain Poppy, head of the Golden Circle. Uh, I think I think it's just it looks fun. They released like a really short new trailer yesterday, and like it looks like she may like set out a crumping phase of like where like she hypnotized people with dance or something. I don't know, what? but she's like, all right, Kingsman, let's get crumping, and then it just cuts to like uh, <laughs> it cuts to Chantan doing this weird dance, and then it cuts to like. <laughs> Um, uh, Eggsy's home and okay. one of his friends do this weird dance and then it, it just like cuts to like a hospital room and other, these, all these other weird people are dancing I'm like maybe that's like Perfect. instead of killing people like the last one it's a dance off or something like hmm. it just looks fun it looks it looks super yes. over the top I'm sure the action is going to be great I'm sure Edgerton's going to give a great performance and I'm excited to see more Matthew Vaughn as a director mm-hmm. so can't wait to see it uh, this coming Thursday night. Probably I'll go see it opening night. And uh, we'll be back next to review it. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, our iTunes gives a five-star review with comments. Can't stress that enough. It really helps the show if you guys do that sort of stuff. Um, and, you know, go like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and if you want to do that, uh, you'll get updates on everything we covered by tweeting us at Friends and Film. And you'll see updates on the podcast movies and more by following us there. Uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter at Coops underscore Hoops. And you can argue with me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. Thanks again for tuning in to the Friends and Film podcast. Josh. Thanks for stopping by, everyone. And be sure to return next week for our review of Kingsman The Golden Circle.